Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers, with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. Today's episode is brought to you by Concordia Metalworks, the Outer Rim's leading Besker Forge. Stop in and see our new waiting room, now with individual booths. When you take your helmet off here, you can always put it back on again. Welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the holiday podcast that asks interesting holiday questions that don't have any holiday answers with your holiday host, Ben Siders, that's me, and the other guy is Kirk Holiday Damon. As always, Kirk is the captain of the holiday enterprise. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter, at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at KirkDMN. You can follow this podcast on Twitter, at LGGPod, and find us on our website, LG ggpodcast.com. Today is a very special holiday edition of A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, which it will full involve disclosure, the favorite Wookiee holiday. No, it won't. What, is it, what was it called? The Day of Life Gift? Or, I don't Something know. like that. Um, we're not going to talk. Well, we might talk about the Star Wars holiday special. Of course we're going to talk about this, the holiday, Star Wars is, holiday special because we have to. This it's is hilarious. an all, all Star Wars episode, which uh, we're recording this before Thanksgiving. So some of the things we say may be out of date by the time oh, you get this. Oh, they will be out of date. Well, That's the Mandalorian discussion fun. will be. But we're, we have no outline for this episode. It's something I don't think we've ever done before where we just sort of sat down and... Yeah, I'm not sure we've ever really at least released an episode. We've recorded oh, yeah, a couple We've definitely of done that. <laughs> We'd never have forced you to listen to it. <laughs> uh, so today we're, we're just going to, to, to freewheel on uh, The Mandalorian, what we've seen so far. A little bit on episode nine, and then just a sort of our general. This is a conversation Kirk and I probably have once a week, just some sort of general <laughs> Star Wars discussion. Uh, so, uh, and what this really is kind of getting back to our roots. This whole podcast got started because we have a Star Wars conversation about once a week, and yep. at some point we were like, you know, well, and then we had uh, we were up in um, where were we when we were having that same conversation with Ed. Uh, Grand Rapids. Rapids. We went up and, and we were talking Star Wars stuff with uh, with a longtime uh, dedicated listener, Ed, in Grand Rapids. And uh, we were like, we were thinking of making a podcast out of this. And Ed said, I would listen to that all day long. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, we got one listener, so it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ed, for listening. We don't have to see more of you. <laughs> yeah, if anybody else uh, is, is is like Ed and is a crazy person who loves this podcast, uh, get in touch with us on Twitter at LGGPod. <laughs> So a Star Wars Kirk. So we've we've seen three episodes of The Mandalorian. Yep. And, and keep Wars, in mind, thir- episode three just came out. So this when we're recording this, so we have we no idea say, what's going to be in episode four. Yeah, we should say spoiler alert because we're just going to talk about what's happened uh, so far. So if you have somehow not yet watched The Mandalorian, uh, don't listen to this episode yet because we're going to talk about what's happened in the first three episodes. Yep. But obviously, by the time you get this, I think there's eight. Um, so they should all or mostly all be out uh, by the time you listen to yeah, this. Yeah, we're probably going to be you know, close to the end of, I guess, season one, at least the way they you know, portrayed it. I think it's worth noting, and I'm just going to point out from our last episode, you know, we were talking about streaming and the nature of the change of things in conjunction with our last episode. Disney Plus is my first adventure into streaming um, in anything. I don't even stream music. Kirk's kind of a Luddite. He's got like an iPhone from like 2009. <laughs> it's a 5S. <laughs> it still works. <laughs> he plays Hearthstone on it. I'm going to put play in air quotes because it locks up on him all the time. Um, no, it's I, I'm I'm very much in just generally just what it is. I love new technology, but I'm not real fond of having to set new things up. Um, I'm with you there. I like it to be simple. I like it to be straightforward. Quite frankly, I was stunned at how easy it was to set up Disney Plus. Um, at least on my iPad, I'm still that's trying to get my TV. That's high praise coming from you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm still trying to get my TV to set up, but that's my Again, TV's issue. What I <laughs> I don't want to get a new 
TV because I have a nice TV, even if it is old. Um, but yeah, the uh, I'm actually the same way. Like I, when we moved into our new house, I bought a new computer. That was nine years ago. I've yeah. not bought a new one since. But like I, I like to get like bleeding edge computers, yeah. so I can only buy one once. A You're decade. like me as to what it is. It's they when I buy a computer, I buy a bleeding edge computer, and then I keep it for ten years, yeah. so it's not bleeding edge anymore. It's not even the back edge. It's like the handle. I usually <laughs> only buy a new one when uh, when the the formats or the the standards have changed so much that I can no longer upgrade my old one. Like, yeah. I only bought this one because I couldn't actually buy new storage for the old one because you, I couldn't find an, uh, an SATA cable. <laughs> I all, remember those. It was all the new, the new SATA 2. And I'm like, well, I guess I can't retrofit this one anymore. So. Yeah, so so definitely the thing with it. Yeah, so I, I got Disney Plus. I have to admit, I, I joined Disney Plus pretty much to watch The Mandalorian. That's why we get, joined it. And to get caught up in the Avengers universe because I, I never got into, I, and just generally, and I think I mentioned it before on the show, I was never into superheroes as a kid. I didn't particularly care for them. I was monstrously into Star Trek, but did not particularly care for superheroes. And so I have not seen a lot of the Marvel's universe, Marvel Universe. Um, I've, I catch up with it on planes for the most part. I have seen both sets of, you know, Infinity um, War. Infinity yeah. War. Um, but like, I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy. And so I've literally just started streaming just Guardians of, of the Galaxy. It's one of the better movies. Yeah, yeah I know. It was one of the better movies. And uh, it's, so I'm starting to just sort of get involved. That's part of the reason I got Disney is because of the fact Disney Plus is because I really wanted to see The Mandalorian. But I also, quite frankly, wanted to get caught up in the Marvel Universe. And also, you know, with my kids, it just gives me access to be able to show them anything. My daughter's expressed a lot of interest in seeing the Lady and the Tramp, the, the live-action Lady you know, and the Tramp. my kids have been saying the same thing. I don't, I'm, yeah. All of a sudden, they're like, we only saw the Lady and the Tramp. I'm like, how have you even heard of the show? It's called Previews. I guess. <laughs> and really, like, uh, we commented in the previous one. You guys should have all seen it by now. As to those who are going to see it. We saw Frozen 2 um, opening night. The previews in front of Frozen 2 I thought were really cool because they did sort of all of Disney. So they had a bunch of like Disney animation. They had a preview for Star Wars, um, which I thought was kind of neat. Have we seen um, all the trailers now? I think we have. I think we've seen all the trailers, unless they've released another one. Now, obviously, when we're recording this, they may release another one post this, but I don't I, think I they're going I saw something to. on YouTube that said final Star Wars Episode Nine trailer. Yeah. But, I mean, that could that could be anything. Who knows? <laughs> but, yeah, so I think, you know, it's 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 been interesting to sort of see what that is. And, again, I, th- I think we're going to be speculating with this, but... I, I I found them, you know, I got it to get the Mandalorian pretty much as to what it was. I'd heard definitely a lot of the hype. It looked really good from the trailers I'd seen. I liked the concept of it. I quite frankly like the concept of a good Star Wars TV show. Mm-hmm. I have very, very fond memories of watching the Ewoks Ewok, special. Ewoks, yes. Just stumbling upon it, you know, when I'm watching TV. At one point in time, I'm going, wait, this isn't Return of the Jedi, but it has Ewoks in it. What is this? And needing to watch it. Because, you know, again, sort of referencing back to our last episode, that you if you didn't watch it then, you might not ever see it again. Um, and things like that. But the idea of actually having sort of good Star Wars content. And by good Star Wars content, I essentially mean non-animated Star Wars content. And not like the holiday special, I told you we were going to reference it, which isn't really Star Wars content, so to speak, as much as it's a holiday special that's just yeah. a general Star Wars thing. Let's start out with this with The Mandalorian. Um, so I'm going to say, let's, if, I'm going to give you two things to do. Spoilers. Um, let's, let's, do, let's start out with, on a scale of 1 to 10, so far through episode 3, let's each give a rating of, of how good we think it is, and then if you could describe it with, say, one word so far, what would that word be? And I'm going to vamp for a second so you can think about this. <laughs> um, I, I, I would give it like a solid 7.5, I think, 7.5 or 8. I'm definitely entertained by it. I'm also somewhat frustrated and annoyed with it, and we'll get into the reasons why in a second. My, my one word, though, I think is harder to come up with, but... I guess what I would say is um, um, 
promising. Like <laughs> the, 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 the there's good production quality for the most part. Um, it, it looks like Star Wars. It feels like Star Wars. Um, there are actors in it who, when I first heard that they were being cast, I thought there's no way you're going to put Werner Herzog on TV <laughs> and convince me he's in the Star Wars universe, but they did. And, he, <laughs> and it took even, all about 30 seconds. Even less so with Carl Weathers. I'm just going to be thinking of Happy Gilmore the whole time, <laughs> but no, he really pulls it off pretty well. Uh, so so th- that's all working for me. We'll get into what I'm frustrated by in a second, but um, so, so those are my thoughts. What, what's your rating and what's your one-word description? Interestingly enough, I was trying to think of a rating. I actually came to seven and a half before you said it, which I thought was very interesting as to the fact that we were almost dead on top of it's each other. It's not bad, but it's not amazing, right? Yeah, and and I have a lot of the same comments you did is it's, I really enjoy watching it. I think it's very entertaining. I'm a bit frustrated by a couple of things in it. Slightly different than you are, I think. Yeah. Um, sure I would. If I had to pick my word for it, and actually the, the word I'd pick for it surprisingly is dark. Um, yeah. And I think it's one of those where it's... I find that it's going back to, and again, I use a lot of synonyms and like gritty, stuff like that. I really feel like it's going back in many respects to the premise of Star Wars, of Western in space. Yeah, th- and definitely. This is this the, is the, the Wild dusty West. tavern, and yeah, it's it's rough. It's not pleasant. And the thing that I really think is so interesting about The Mandalorian, and we're going to pick on this from our last episode, I'm going to pick on Greedo again. We can't go back to the fact that Han shot first in Star Wars, yet I think The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian's going to shoot first a lot and does. The Mandalorian has mercilessly slaughtered and disintegrated at least two dozen people so far. And he's killed many of them through, you know, conniving tricks. Um, The, you know, we're going to start with some spoilers here just to sort of give you the warning. The immediate take is him shooting the the bounty hunter droid, which to me is an assassin droid. I don't know where the bounty hunter droid versus assassin droid thing comes from. That's from watching Clone Wars. Um, But the, you know, I mean, he clearly just shoots him in the side of the head while he's focused on, you know, getting the quarry. Now, it's obviously a necessary plot point, but, you know, I guess in the, you know, if if we're going to do this as to, you know, what the tavern scene was, we needed to have our, you know, bounty hunter droid shoot and miss the quarry (laughs) before he actually gets shot by the Mandalorian in response. You know, where are we getting this thing from that says that this is very, very much sort of, and again, I use that term dark. This is a little bizarre that we we have this on Disney Plus at the same time they're releasing the McCloskey edition of the McCloskey Star edition of Star Wars. <laughs> we need the, the McCloskey edition of the holiday special. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, so let's let's start. Let's do this then. Well, and then what's your one word description? So that was my word description is dark. I think is the the thing that I put in conjunction yeah, with it. Okay. Um, and again, it's I, I use that term a little bit loosely because I think there may be a better synonym as to what it is. It's the first one I could come to. I mean, gritty is not a bad one, but really what I'm trying to refer to is the idea that it's going back to that old Western style Star Wars universe where you know it's it's very rough. It's very rough and tumble. It's you know, it's a it's a dark universe. Yeah. You know, we are talking about bounty hunters. We are talking about people who live on the dregs of society. Even a lot of the sort of humor moments that are put into the Mandalorian are dark humor moments. Yeah. So let's, so okay. So the next exercise is a thing you like the most about it so far, and thing you like the least. <laughs> all right. Uh, so this one's pretty easy for me. The thing I like the most so far is the world building. Yep. There's been some some I think deft and and well integrated world building elements in the narrative that um, that have have largely filled in holes in the story that yep. I didn't even know that I wanted to know about. In particular. Um, 
the the sort of background and culture of the Mandalorian people. We're getting glimpses of that. We can see that he was his parents were taken from him at some point. We see that in the flashbacks when they're hammering in the armor. Uh, the whole thing with the signet, where he was going to get the the horned beast as his signet, and yeah, and, and he said no, it wasn't a clean kill. And just that one line, the fact that one he gets a signet at all is world building. That the signet is this beast that he killed is world building, and that he has the integrity. I, I take it it's a matter of integrity to say I don't deserve it yet because I was assisted by an enemy um, you know and I like the way it's done because all the other characters in the show already know these things right the yes. characters know them it's their society we don't know this as the viewer and the writers are teaching us about this through the story and not in a really boring stupid way that insults our intelligence the characters are just talking very much in world and we're learning by osmosis it has a very Luke Undegaba in Empire Strikes Back um, uh, tone to it where I'm just captivated by all yep. of this because I'm learning new information so that that's all very well done. Yep, I have to agree. I think my, the thing I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the world building. What I what I actually really like about it, and I'll just use sort of two specific examples is what I like about the world building. I have really enjoyed the interaction between him and his handler, for lack of a better term. I don't think we've given, yeah. given a name for the character. But the idea of, you know, bounty hunting is just a profession. You know, there's lots of people the, with the this. The Carl Weathers character? The Carl Weathers yeah. character, yes. Um, and the, the idea that, you know, hey, you've got these pucks. This is what they mean. This is how you collect bounties. And even sort of associated with the puck, one of the things I think was great is um, the presentation of the bounty hunter droid. I actually really enjoyed the bounty hunter droid, actually, as as one of the presentations with it, with the idea that he's presented at, and I've always liked this actually about the droids in the Star Wars universe. They're presented as very autonomous, as very intelligent, mm-hmm. very autonomous, but at the same time living by very rigid rules at times. I mean, C-3PO does it. You see sort of C-3PO do it in conjunction with the original movies um, and things like that. And we definitely see that bounty hunter droid do it, where it's the, you know, I'm going to blow myself up, you know, it's a self-destruct protocol because I cannot be captured pursuant to my yeah. manufacturer's requirements. And you know, it's, don't do it because we're not done yet. Yeah. You know, okay, fine, then I'll, I'll belay it, you know, and that kind of thing. And it's like, it's interesting to sort of see, I think, that kind of presentation of droids, which is actually one of the things I've really enjoyed about it is that presentation of droids. Um, with it, and definitely the world building. The other one I've actually really enjoyed in the world building is, and I think it's something that's just going to be an ongoing presentation, is the concept of arms and armor in the Mandalorian world. Yeah, in a world with with plasma uh, plaster uh, blasters and yeah. and plasma weapons and disintegrators, armor like metal armor just seems really antiquated. We don't do that now, you yeah. know, with with uh, with powdered firearms. Though it obviously but they have clearly it. works, yeah. and that's the thing we've also presented is that steel is very very strong, and there's a you know, I mean, we've seen multiple people get hit. In steel, mm-hmm. you know him in the armor, and you know the other guys, you know in the in the ingot, um, and that steel is clearly very strong. Can take a blaster and can stop it. Um, I think that gives us a lot of the idea that like, no, wait, there is armor that works. Like stormtroopers are not wearing plastic. Um, yeah. There is armor that works in this world against blasters, against you know even very strong blasters that we've seen you know potentially work with it. Um, but like, I, what I also like is the quite frankly the forge. And the idea that we're seeing very traditional forging techniques be used, very traditional forging techniques be used on this extremely powerful armor. To me, quite frankly, and maybe this is a little bit of Marvel Universe bleeding into Disney, it really has a feel of, of, of Infinity War. It does um, a little bit, yeah. And the idea of how do you get these amazing weapons? Oh, because there's these amazing forges. Um and I kind of like that. The idea that like there can be a creation of of very strong light super weapons, things like the lightsaber. 
which suddenly mm-hmm. it feels more real because the idea that you know we can forge things like this, even with using what are arguably relatively primitive techniques. Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, Carl Weathers' character is named Grief, G-R-E-E-F. Oh, yeah, we didn't know that, actually. Karga. It was Grief. I remember him saying that at one point in time, yes. That's a terrible name, but okay. Um, <laughs> Karga's fine. Grief is bad. Uh, things you don't like. Uh, this is where we may, may differ more. Um, and this is where I'm also frustrated by The Mandalorian. Um, it, I don't know how to describe this. It feels... Like uh, token fan servicey, there's a lot of things that are are in the show that feel like they're only there the way that they're there because the people writing the show think that that's what fans expect. And I got a couple examples for. I already know which first yeah. one is. The first one is he lands on uh, in the first episode. He goes to some unknown planet uh, and he meets what we think is an Ugnot, who's one of the best characters on the show. I hope he comes back. And he's told he tells the Ugnot, "I've got to go to this base somewhere to recover my quarry." You know, whoever I'm trying to to get. The Ugnot helps him because there hasn't been peace ever since the smugglers or whoever it is got to that base. Uh, and, and the Mandalorian says, okay, well, let's go. And he's like, nope, first you have to tame this bizarre, round, bipedal, bouncy beast. Bouncy beast. <laughs> and there's a whole taming scene that happens, which it's all, it's all well enough done. I mean, none of it is is, is, is badly made. The, the craft of the movie is fine. Then we see them running to the location, and they're just running over top a bunch of crevices, yeah. um, and and occasionally jumping relatively short distances that look like a guy like the Mandalorian probably would be able to cover anyway. I could see the Ugnot maybe not being able to. Um, did not really see the need for that scene at all, but that was just like one scene. However. Then we find out that in the same planet that has this terrain that is unpassable unless you are on a small bipedal bouncy beast, we have Jawas and a sand crawler. And we've never seen Jawas on a spaceship, you know? I always thought Jawas were just these things that lived on Tatooine, <laughs> and that's why they wore robes, because it was hot out. The same reason that everybody else on Tatooine wore robes is because if you live in a desert, you got to stay covered up. And the sand crawler makes sense there because it's a vast open desert that's hard to traverse. So you have sort of an enclosed city. Now we have a sand crawler on this other planet uh, with Jawas on it for some reason um, that is is also desolate, but completely different type of terrain until it doesn't. Uh, it didn't make any sense to me at all why that was there other than we as the fans have seen a sand crawler and they wanted to have somebody scavenging parts so that they could have him fight the mud beast. Uh, so they put all that in there. So I, I didn't like that part. Just as I'm watching it, I'm like, why, why? Why is there a sand crawler here? It doesn't make any sense. The other thing I didn't like like, I, I don't mind Baby Yoda. I don't think I love Baby Yoda as much as everybody else does, <laughs> but I don't mind Baby Yoda. It was the only part of the first episode where I was like, what? You know, I was really not expecting that at all. Um, I was totally expecting the quarry to be a droid. Yeah, I, I, I do find the floating bassinet kind of an, an annoying thing because I think the reason it's there is that they tried to animate Baby Yoda and um, it looks silly. So they have the bassinet to avoid that. But every time he's walking around with this floating egg, I just kind of, it looks silly. Um, the other thing I, I didn't like, though, is, is why does Baby Yoda have the Force? Well, and it's, I have the feeling we're going to explain that. I think we are, but that's I, again, you know, Baby Yoda is bald. Why? Because the only other Yoda creature we've seen was bald. But he was bald because he was 900 years old. <laughs> you would think a younger version, he has tufts of hair. Yeah. Wouldn't a younger version have hair? 
you know? Uh, and then Baby Yoda has the Force. Why? Because the other Yoda that we've seen had the Force. So now this one does. I just assumed Yoda was just happened to be one of the members of the species that was Force-sensitive, yeah. like everybody else on the Jedi Council. You know, every Twi'lek is not Force-sensitive, but there is one on the Jedi Council. A couple of them, actually. That, that, yeah, that, that is. But then the one in Jabba's palace, you know, uh, one is just his his uh, his doorman, and one is a dancer. Like they, they all have different jobs. Not every member of the Yoda species has the Force. But now it seems like they're doing that because, well, we've seen a Yoda before, so we have to see a Yoda lift something up because the last time we saw a Yoda, he lifted something heavy <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah, the, it's interesting when you sort of talk about it because it's in some sense, I think our complaints are similar, but mine's in a sort of very different vein as to what it is. Um, in the thing, so it's like you know the the talk way that like it, it quite frankly the the, the bipedal bouncy beast um, did not really bother me as to whatever it was. I think the reason that scene existed is to watch him tame it, and I commented particularly about it. I said it to you afterwards. What struck me immediately about that scene is he tames it by holding out his hands one behind the other. Mm-hmm. It's virtually the exact same motion Anakin uses to chain to tame the Mudhorn yes. in, atta- in Attack of the Clones. See, and that's what I thought they were going to go with that is and, when he's fighting the Mudhorn. That comes back. Yeah. That's the payoff for that scene is we, we we learn as the audience that he knows how to tame beasts for some reason. And then when he sees the mud horn, he uses it again. But that's yeah. not what happened. I think we're going to end up with something with the Mandalorian being slightly Force-sensitive, I think is going to be the idea behind it. And that's the reason why I go straight to that scene. I think that was what that was trying to lead in. You know, it's a scene that was done to try to be a throwaway scene at the time, but it's going to become of increased yeah. relevance later. Um, you know, and that's again. I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be a payoff by the time this episode airs. Yeah, you so we're only three seasons <laughs> in, so you, you all know more than we do at this point. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to uh, to see where it goes. But yeah, I didn't have as much trouble with that. I did joke about it. I, it's for those of you. I'm also a fan of Warhammer 40k. It's a squig. Um, that's totally what he is riding. The, uh, so that's why I didn't refer to it as the bipedal bouncy beast. But um, the the thing that I had sort of with it and the thing that I sort of have liked least about it is I found certain inconsistencies that are bothering me. So the example with is it, it is... internal or with like other... Internally. Yeah. Um, and that's what's really bothering me. So the example is the trackers for Yoda. You know, we found out that there's lots of people who had trackers for Yoda, but we also know that there's no pucks because these are presumably yeah. only given out trackers. So how does the bounty hunter droid know that he has to be brought back dead? Because one of the key to it is, is that the the bounty hunter droid specifically says the ex- instructions were explicit. The, the target was to be target is to be terminated. Mm-hmm. That presumably means a different party did it, because obviously that you know Warner Herzog's character does not want him dead. Yeah. It specifically says there is a stencil yeah. decrease in the reward. Yeah. if he is not brought back yeah. alive. What are you doing? That wasn't our agreement. I'm being practical. You know, <laughs> yeah. and that kind of thing. So, and that's you know, okay. Well, why does he want him dead? We also have the the three. Um, and I think it's boss characters, I don't know what they're called, yeah. um, that attack him in the ridge. One appears to try to kill him very specifically at the end. Yeah. Um, and we kind of look at it and go, it, why are they trying to kill him? They presumably want him dead. Okay, which to me immediately meant there are multiple parties looking for this quarry. Yet what we see is when he he takes Yoda back, maybe Yoda back at the end and runs off with it, they've all, all of the, the trackers, trackers light up simultaneously. And then we also learned that Carl Weathers gave them out to everybody. Yeah. And they've all still got him. Why? And they've all still got him. Why? And it, you kind of bump into this thing as it's like, wait a minute, the... We're getting conflicting orders here. Yeah. Now, again, I'm, I'm not, we're only three episodes in, there's a possibility that this is going to be explained later on. That... That but aspect that really of, bothered me. Yeah, that aspect of episode three, to me, had the feeling of the episode's almost over and there hasn't been a big fight scene yet, although there had been. I mean, they just rampaged through the Imperial yeah, exactly. facility and slaughtered nine stormtroopers. <laughs> 
But you know, then they have uh, that's well. I guess that's my other thing I I, I don't like. Um, I don't want to get super political on this, but it, it feels like the movie is being made for like early teenage boys. Basically, mm-hmm. there's virtually no female characters. I can't think of any other than the 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 blacksmith. Now there is one that appears in the. There, there's a female character that appears in conjunction with the, the photo that's behind the yeah. promotional photo. So I wonder if we just haven't been introduced to her yet. Yeah, I, I think we'll get there. Um, but but the the whole thing seems geared towards uh, young youngish early teenage boys and and the action scenes um, I mean they're all well well done and fine but they're not terribly interesting I don't think it, it got kind yeah. of interesting when he jumped in the speeder and told the R two unit to go yeah like, all right well that's that shows a character being smart and like he's actually got a plan of some kind but it really looked like he just picked up Baby Yoda and walked out and really had no idea what he was going to do and yeah. it just kind of makes the character seem dumb and and thoughtless yeah the, I mean I had a little bit of the idea that this was you know spur of the moment this was arguably you know he has the thing where he sees the, the ball missing off of the controls that was well feelings. done I like that and that's what sends him back and I think it was one of the things where he just felt the need to do it and again I think part of this is we're going to get into his motivation one of the things I really well, thought because he was abandoned of, as a child yeah. so I think that's where that connection is I think one of the things we've also had with it and I think it's a very important sort of element of it is and and I thought it was a very interesting scene is the armor forging scene with the the the, the, the forge yeah. master Th- the, those are well done scenes master. also interesting scenes and one of the ones in particular you talk about the idea of the signet, but one of those I also had with her is the, the interaction with the other uh, Mandalorians who are obviously very, very opposed to the Empire. We've met that they're very opposed to the Empire. You know, we've had that yeah. introduced. But the phrase of, have you ever taken your helmet off? Has it ever been taken off of you? Who would choose a life like this voluntarily? Mm-hmm. You know, and and shouldn't we basically respect you for basically choosing this life, which I thought was a, a very intriguing thing. The, the other thing I think we really have gotten in it that they've done very subtly and quite well is the Mandalorians clearly just hate the Empire. Yeah. Um, and we've obviously seen that in the flashbacks. Again, which is interesting small, because it looks like it's the old Republic. It's that, a battle droid. I mean, it's a battle droid. It's a battle droid that goes after those guys. It's a it's a destroyer. I mean, it's the you know the wrist mounted heavy blaster. But didn't guys. the destroyers weren't that weren't those the Trade Federation droids? Well, technically, the Trade Federation is is becomes you know all of the I guess. You know, but like the Trade Federation winds up at war with the Republic yeah. again. The, the whole timeline is incoherent. I don't understand who's on what side. And and part of it is I think we're we're not there yet. I've got to believe yeah. that some of this is going to get explained because they can't have used a battle droid on purpose. You know, they obviously could have made it stormtroopers and it would have been fine. They obviously used a battle droid on purpose. Yeah, to it's set the done timing. as a small thing, but it's very clear, you know, it, the battle droid is framed at the end. But if, if he remembers a battle droid, that was Yoda's time when he was like in charge of the Jedi Council and had to be the most famous person in the Old Republic. Yeah. How does he not know who Yoda is and see this baby one and be like, oh my God. Yeah, now, and again, I, you have, I know you haven't watched it. I have been watching the Clone Wars and there are Clone Wars episodes set on Mandalore and they let a little bit of the, the sort of background of Mandalore out and the Mandalorians out, you definitely see them wearing the shiny armor. So that's one of the things mm-hmm. that I think is, is intriguing. Whereas he's also the only one with the shiny armor. The other ones all have, you know, sort of the matte, yep. green, gray, camouflage type things like Boba Fett had. Um, so I think what's, it, th- I think there's still a lot of world being done. And I think that maybe part of the frustration with this is they may be taking it slow, which quite frankly is good. I mean, I, I don't yeah. mind being confused so long as these things get resolved later. You know, I'm, I was an enormous fan of Lost. I really enjoyed the fact that sort of Lost had a lot of unanswered questions that they answered slowly. The problem with Lost is that they either answered them incoherently, didn't answer yeah. them at all, or then gave conflicting answers. 
Um, and so I'm hoping that they have a little bit more of a coherent plot for this. One, quite frankly, I trust Disney better. Well, John um, Favreau, I think, is the yep. writer, and he's—I mean, he's in a lot of the Marvel movies. I think he's fine. You yeah, know? he's he's obviously written large-scale, you know, you know, multi yeah. multi-movie spanning things. It's not a problem for him to do it. That are pretty coherent. I mean, the, yeah. the Marvel universe is pretty coherent. It has some issues with it, but you know, it's pretty coherent. Um, but again, I think that's the big things I've got in conjunction with the Mandalorian. Is it's I'm sort of I'm very hopeful. Um, yeah. I found episode three quite disappointing. Um, I really enjoyed episodes one and two. I found episode three disturbingly predictable. You know, it, to me, it was exactly what was going to happen, and it was the, oh, we need to have a big fight scene. Yeah. The only two the things I thought... The fight scenes don't seem to advance the plot at all. It's like, okay, we're going to have a couple of scenes where people are talking, but it's like they're aware that they got a bunch of, of like I said, 13-year-old boys with ADHD who can't sit still without there being a fight scene. Yeah. And so we're going to have these long, drawn-out combat scenes that don't do much to explain the characters. And there's yeah. a way you can do action scenes that also build characters, advance plot, um, and, and, and do some characterization. And these just don't. It's just like, okay, we're done with plot things now. Now it's time for an extended action sequence. It really has like yeah. a, a prequel level of dubious pacing to it. Yeah. And and that's, I think, the, the concern. And I think episode three really did highlight that, partially because episode three is the shortest of them. Yeah. What do you think of the runtime? I mean, none of these are longer than about Yeah, I found episode minutes. three overly short. I didn't have a problem with either of the other two, but surprisingly, they're like five, six minutes shorter than it was from episode two. It makes you think there's some other things that got cut, yeah. you know, at the last minute. Or it's because this is kind of a transition episode. They, they need to, you know, What's going to happen in four needs to be in four. They couldn't add anything else yeah, yeah, um, to get to sort of where it needs to be. Because obviously a lot of times we have the, the transitions are leaving a planet. I mean, we've had that happen twice as mm-hmm. the transition from leaving a planet. Um, I did like the fact of sort of the jetpacks and the real use of the Mandalorians of the jetpacks and also his comment of like, I got to get one of those. Like, hey, this is something different. One of these guys is potentially more senior than him. Yeah, so I, I had mixed feelings about that. It, it felt like a do sex machina. It was. The, 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 he, we've, we've written ourselves into a corner and I didn't feel like his connection to the rest of his group was strong enough for them to all come to his rescue out themselves and have to relocate at that point. They all seemed jealous and annoyed with him. And I thought that's something that happens in the finale of a season like this where you spend the season building up the relationship between the main character and the rest of these people and and you sort of set up the adversity now and it pays off later when they come to respect him and realize that they've got a stronger connection as a culture that, you know, it's us again against everybody else. I thought that was premature at this point. I actually hated the line, I gotta get me one of those. That is the <laughs> most cliched, can, stupid, overused, you know, comic relief line. Uh, if that, I, I'm convinced John Favreau did not write that line <laughs> and that there was no scene with the rocketeer outside of his window there um, <laughs> flying by and that some producer at Disney said, oh, this isn't funny enough. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of a sad note. So do something funny, and that's what you do when you can't think of anything else. Yeah. I also told my kids we're watching it. They're like, so who, who is the Mandalorian? And I've decided the Mandalorian is a combination of Star-Lord and Batman in space. <laughs> the, the thing that I had with it, the thing that I liked about it, I actually liked the coming to the rescue and, and following up on the idea that they were kind of annoyed with him um, with the idea, and where I really got it is this hatred of the Empire. Yeah. He had just shot up obviously an imperial facility. They were very annoyed with him for essentially having turned over the quarry and gotten the metal, mm-hmm. which had imperial stamps. You know, sort of the association with the Imperium. You know, we know very early on and he turns down imperial credits and accepts credit in a different payment. And mm-hmm. as even commented out, they still spend the same. It's not like imperial credits aren't good money. Yeah, he just doesn't want them. It's just he doesn't want them and won't accept them and is willing to take a decreased payment to avoid them. 
the idea that the Mandalorians are just very, very opposed to the Empire. And that was kind of what I took with it, is they came to his rescue because he just destroyed the Empire. I mean, he took this huge that, that risk. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. I can and see And so that. they came to him as basically the, no, you know, this was the honorable thing to do. You are going to destroy the Empire. And I really get the impression what we're going to see in this is a very, very strong anti-Empire character. But the people they're fighting at the end are, are mostly not Imperial. They're, they're grief cargos yeah, people they're and they're bounty hunters. And I, I don't know. I mean, the scene all worked. I, I did like the world building elements where they were, you know, where he was like, uh, you know, you guys got to relocate and the, the big guy goes, this is the way, you yeah. know. I, I like that. It sort of shows that they're that there's a level of loyalty there that runs stronger that yeah. we just haven't seen on, on on camera yet. I also think part of the reason, quite frankly, they needed to do it is they needed to get rid of the other trackers. They needed to basically kill off the bounty hunters yeah. so that we didn't have the issue with the other trackers because we all knew it. As but soon like, as he grabbed Yoda, they, everybody was after him. This isn't like a movie where like you're stuck with some script somebody else wrote. They could have just re- written those out of the plot earlier and done something different. Like that whole the, this, we could have gotten from A to B the exact same way if he breaks into the Imperial facility. That's your extended fight scene, which kind of makes sense. There's a chance to show some weaponry and gadgetry there. Yeah. There's a confrontation with a doctor that could have given us a little more information. That was an interesting scene. Then on the way out, he just runs into Grief, and they have a conversation that builds those two characters, and Grief lets him go, or doesn't, or he shoots him and, yeah. and, and takes off. We did not need a 15-minute scene full of CGI yeah. to, to get him out of town. But I mean, yeah, it I just felt crammed it, yeah. in and unnecessary. I mean, that's where it jumps into your you know sort of teenage boys thing issue. Yeah. Is it's, it's, we want to resolve this by lots of violence and big fight scene yeah. you know with things blowing up and people being shot off a building so they fall down next to the land speeder again you know. it's a western some yeah. guy's up on the <laughs> some guy always up on somebody's top of the up saloon, on the dormer he's gonna get, he's shot, gonna get shot out <laughs> and, uh, and stuff like that but yeah I think and again that's that was my take of it you know it's what it is so again I'm definitely in sort of the hopeful phase. Like I said, I very much enjoyed episodes one and two. Um, I found I was much more forgiving of episodes one and two, even the fight scenes. I thought being a bit gratuitous, I was much more forgiving of them. To me, episode three was just too predictable. Yeah. Um, the same as, you know, and I'm going to predict it right now since I have not seen episode four. You guys may not believe that, but I haven't seen episode four. He's going to meet a friend in episode four. You know, it's, it's you can sort of see that's the plot going. Mm-hmm. And I have the feeling that's the woman we've seen in the in the pictures. He he needs a crew. I think that's going to be part of the thing. Yeah. With it is it's, he's not going to well, be alone in this. He needs and when a you crew. load up the Disney Plus app, the the main banner for the Mandalorian, yeah. there's a woman off to his that's right. What I mean, so that yeah, woman, they're going to yeah. introduce somebody at some. And point. And I have the feeling she's going to get introduced in Episode Four, and it's going to be something to help him. Um, she's probably going to start off as an enemy, and then he's going to yeah. you know, help, and then it's going to help him uh, a little bit the way the Ugnaught does. Um, you know, the hey, who are you? You know. They need to bring that guy it. back. You know, I'm really hoping they do bring him back. I very much enjoyed his character. I, I also really liked the I Have Spoken. I thought that mm-hmm. was a neat sort of presentation of the idea that like his language was kind of this weird formal thing, which is then also echoed by the Mandalorians with the this is the way. Yeah. Um, which I thought See, was very See, those intriguing. are the subtle touches I really like. I'd much rather have an extra 10 minutes of that kind of stuff, a little more of attention to that kind yeah. of detail, and 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 less jetpacks. I would have, quite frankly, liked to have you know 10 minutes more of him interacting with the Forge Master, um, you yeah. know, or the, the Artificer, and the other Mandalorians in the sort of underground. I, I do find that we never take our helmet thing off to be implausible. Yeah, like, I mean, like, like, <laughs> presumably you have to sleep on it. Shower with it on? Yeah. You have the bathroom with it on? It's just silly, you know? Like, yeah. like uh, hopefully they clarify that. Like, you never take it off like Nobody around knows people who you are. yeah knows yeah, who yeah. You are. That, that that makes sense but it's still a little silly to me like he's walking through this hallway and there's a bunch of people in helmets it kind of looks like a cheesy convention like a costume yeah. party Although did, i don't know did you notice and i know this is one of the subtle things i thought was very interesting is did you notice that now the credits for in front of the mandalorian when they do the star wars credit is all the helmets 
No, I didn't see that. Yeah, so that. if you watch the credit, like actually watch the, the intro when they do the intro before it does the Mandalorian and the Star Wars. It does the Star Wars sort of background thing mm-hmm. like the old Arts one they used to do. It flashes up just quick pictures of all the helmets ending with the Mandalorian helmet and then does the Star Wars logo. And, and so it was one of the things that I think there's an issue there's an issue with Star Wars of people wearing helmets. You know, that's yeah. the thing. And I've got to wonder if that might be a subtle tip towards episode nine. You know, because be. we have episode eight with the idea of, of Kylo Ren sort of throwing the helmet away, but obviously he gets it back in conjunction with episode nine. Are we are we playing with the idea of identity and, and something that is, you know, what is your identity? Your identity is partially hidden. I could imagine that they're going to go somewhere with a very big theme in this. At the same time, they may not, but I could very well, they're going to go to a big theme in this. So the idea that, like, Darth Vader being helmeted, the Stormtroopers being helmeted, there's a, there's a value like to anonymity. broader cultural context yeah. in the universe? I don't know. That'd be interesting. It could be interesting. All right. Well, I think, I think we've killed the Mandalorian at this point. Probably. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's hit episode nine a little bit. Um, well, so what, what, do you, what are you thinking so far? I think we've seen all of the the commercials all for the all of the trailers. Um, I have to admit, my one thing that I really love about the trailer and it's the, by far my favorite element of the entire trailer is the the word over text, and the fact that it basically says, uh, you know, this this Christmas or whatever it says in conjunction with it, the saga will end. Yes, the and, best news I've heard all well, year. But I love the fact of how definitive it is. Yeah, and what it says sort of about it, and what it really harkens me back to. And I remember when I first saw the original trailer for Episode One. Mm-hmm. The original trailer for episode one is so much better than episode one. Yeah. Um, it's the, but, you know, the trailer and it starts off with every saga has a beginning. beginning. Yeah. yeah. And so the hark back to yeah. the saga has a beginning, the saga will end. You know, that's what this thing is. Um, I really like that. I just thought it was very well done, and it's done in the same way with the sort of same text just sort of printed across it. There's no statement of it. It's just done across flashing images. Um I really like that in the th- in this things, and I, I like the fact that they're being clear. This is ending. Yeah. Um. And you know, it gives me that that idea that like you know, this is ending. Characters are disposable. Like we, yeah. you know, we can end this as to what it is. It's got a, it's got a Game of Thrones feel. You know, it once does. you read anything I, in Game of Thrones, you know that characters can die. I, I feel like they. You know, the more I think about it, the more the, the feeling I get from you know both both the trailers, but just sort of the 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 messaging coming out of Disney is that they are ready to move on from the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, I think they feel like it is a an anchor weighing them down on what they can do. Kind of going back to the Mandalorian because of fan expectations for what they need to see for it to be a quote unquote Star Wars movie. You know? Yeah. There needs to be a space fight. There needs to be a lightsaber fight. Somebody's got to have mysterious parents. There's all of these uh, Star Wars tropes mm-hmm. uh, that if, if you don't do them, you know, the people are like, well, what was that? And, you know, it's, it's Star Wars is not just a movie you can go see and either it was a good movie or not. It has to be certain things or it's not really Star Wars and you get all this fan annoyance. So... I feel like there's a good chance they're going to massacre <laughs> the cast to clear it all out yeah. and prevent anybody clamoring for uh, for, for more of this. Um, and I think I've heard the actors say, like, no, there's nothing else for, for Ray. There's nothing else for these characters. This is it, and they're done. Um, so I feel like that's a possibility. Um, I... I, do, I, I will never understand the obsession in Star Wars with having movies in space where people ride animals. <laughs> people love riding animals in Star Wars. It's, you know? it's gotten silly. Like, yeah. like when Empire Strikes Back, we had the Tauntauns. They at least explained it. It's too cold for speeders. You have to go out on Tauntauns. Yeah. Okay, I get it. 
Um, fine. Uh, what do they feed them? I don't know. But the, okay, there's at least an explanation for that. I always right? assume Tomsons were native yeah. to Hoth too, which is something I, I, he found. Yeah, I always assume I assume that too. And then uh, Return of the Jedi, we didn't have anything like that really. Um, but then, well, but then in Star Wars, you have them riding on the big lizard things in the desert. Yeah. Like, really? You, you don't have anything that can drive in a desert that's again, more convenient than the, the big dubax, lizard? The dubax made some sense to me in Star Wars because the planet's supposed to be primitive. Yeah. And so, again, it was like, okay, I, I don't have a problem with that because the planet, they're supposed to be planets, but this planet's primitive. It's backwater. Yeah. But, you know, but then we have episode one, you know, they, it, it's the strangest thing. They use a, a horse-like creature to tow a powered land speeder. Yeah. What? I mean, it's, it's like I'm going to hook up my, um, uh, my, my car to uh, a, a horse and yeah. have it tow my car. Just drive the car. I, I don't, I don't yeah. understand it. So there's, there's things like that. We saw that in the last episode where they go to the, the casino planet where there's at least an explanation for why the animals are there. It's a racetrack. You know, they ride those animals and then there's a scene in, the, in this trailer where they're riding some kind of animal across what looks like the top of a Star Destroyer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I like the idea of we're going to walk across the top of the Star Destroyer. That's a different set we've never seen before. Um, but it's a spaceship, so how are they outside? And <laughs> yeah. Why, why are there animals on the Star Destroyer? Is it like Spaceballs? Is it a petting zoo? I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. There's elements like that where I'm like, I really hope this is less dumb than it looks like in the trailer. Yeah, and that's I think the worry we, we all have in conjunction with it is it Star Wars has a habit of doing things occasionally that are dumb. Um because of Star Wars. <laughs> it's going to be because Star so Wars. Much, just make it at least make sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to love everything about it, but when I'm watching the movie, it needs to have just a bare minimum of sufficient internal logic that I'm not constantly second-guessing what the characters are doing because what they're doing makes no sense at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that's. I think we're a little worried about that. It's it, Part of the reason it's why I liked episode eight because to me, episode eight made more sense to me even though it was sort of throwing everything else out the window. Mm-hmm. Episode eight felt more internally consistent to me than some of the other ones I did. I like the ideas in that. I like the idea yeah. of Luke turning away from the Force. Um, and just being fed up with it, you yeah. know, is the idea that, you know, hey, this, you know, the prophecy was we bring balance to the Force. Balance stinks. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's you know, kind of be the idea. And I was like, okay, that's, I like that idea, you know, that this is not necessarily a good thing. The one thing I do think we're going to see in episode nine, and I've, I've thought about this, you know, quite a bit recently, I'm really wondering if what we're going to see in episode nine is a shattering of the universe. Mm-hmm. So which allows them more play space with the idea that we're going to basically have the first order is bad, but so is the Republic. And we're really going to have this thing that basically well, their says— gone. Their planet got blown up. Yeah, but the, the idea that sort of the idea—we we need to get rid of central government from it because the Star Wars space works much better when we have these sort of small, isolated discussions where we can have like a planetary yeah. governor that's just doing what he's doing, and that's what we can discuss. You know, the—, the you know, there, there's some obviously basic political themes there, but I think you can definitely get into something with the idea of it works better as a Western when we're in the lawless West. Yeah, like like, like Tatooine works that way as an yeah. isolated setting where like these gangsters hold sway and you're kind of off on the fringes of the galaxy. And that's maybe where the prequels kind of got off kilter is how, how do you portray something like an interstellar war playing out across all these planets um, it, it just it never felt like anything was at stake you know the people yeah. people on Coruscant just went about their business and nobody cared and and that was never even remarked upon 
because um, that could have been part of the plot, and yeah. it just it wasn't. It just it never felt like a real story. Yeah. The characters didn't feel like real people. Um, the Mandalorian has a little more, um, you know, uh, substance to it that way. These, these do feel, on some level, like like real people struggling. Yeah. The the sequels, uh, you know, uh, eight and nine or seven and eight feel closer to that. It looks better, better than the prequels were. Yeah. I think but, you know, but what, like what? So if I, like, what's Ray's character? Yeah. Like, describe her character. Stubborn, tough. Um, She's Luke Skywalker. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, but, it's but, bad, but... but you know, Luke, Luke, was, Luke was whiny and wistful and his head was always off in the clouds. He was naive. And naive, naive and, and romanticized things because although he lived in this, this rugged farm area, he had no real world experience. Yeah. Ray has the same basic background, but she seems so much more worldly. Like, how does she know how to fly a spaceship? Like, we at least learn that Luke has a skyhopper and that yeah. he's a good pilot. There's a throwaway line about that. We see nothing like that from Ray. All of a sudden, she needs to fly a ship so she can fly one and she's insanely good at it. And we learned it's because she's got the force. But, you know, in Star Wars, Luke gets into an X-Wing he's never flown before, his first time yeah. flying into space, and he's a little nervous, and you can see it. There's none of that with, with the well, Ray character. Well, even cut the scene with him and Biggs, you know, that's this known yeah. for the novel and stuff like that, where he, he yeah. clearly is nervous. Well, know, they, they filmed that scene. X-Wing. That was yeah. a special edition where Biggs said, you know, the, the Red Leader says, are you sure you can handle one of these? And Biggs is like, he'll figure it out, don't worry about it. Yeah. And he does. And so there's just a little bit more of, of that sort of, you know, these, these, these characters are, are the heroes, but they're not perfect. I mean, the, the there's still an element in in these uh, the sequels of the. I don't know. They're not as badly written as the prequels. No. But, uh, you know, what, what's Finn's character? I think, you know? I think part of the what, reason that they... What's Poe's character? Yeah, I think part of the reason they actually are better written than the prequels is because I think they're not written for kids. And, and again, I kind of bump into that. Is I go back to Star Wars initially, and I go back to the Western in space. And, and it's one of those things where this is... With a lot of the stuff in Star Wars that's really sort of bumped into me as a lot recently is that Star Wars is a Western in space. Westerns are not nice films. You go back and you look in conjunction with Westerns. They may define, you know, predefined good and evil. It's stuff that we, you know, look at today and say, hey, these are, you know, tropes and stereotypes and things like that. But they were never nice movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took film studies when I was in college. The very first movie I analyzed was The Searchers, which is a John Wayne movie. Um, and I analyzed it for mise-en-scene, which is basically what do you see on screen versus what is off screen. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in it which starts the searching. So it's basically the idea is that they're searching to, for the person's kidnapped wife, I believe it is, his wife or daughter or something like that that's been kidnapped. But it starts off with there's a scene where you find out that basically this you know poor farmer's you know family has been slaughtered, and the way you find out about it is the John Wayne character rides up and for fine you know they've he's been mm-hmm. the person's come and found him he rides up and they go to the barn and you simply see him open the door you see his and reaction you see, it from, you see his yeah. reaction as he's looking in the door and it's this horrified reaction and then him turning around and grabbing the father and like do not go in there. You know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. As it's the what did you see? It's a scene that's actually echoed in Letters to Iwo Jima. Um, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, a very similar scene is sort of echoed in there. Um, but it's one of those where that to me was a lot of the Western of the this is very horrible. Yeah. You know, the world in the Western is very horrible. It's very rough. Um, it's very dark. It's very gritty. Sort of things like that. Which again, I kind of get from the Mandalorian. I think the prequels were very happy. They were trying to be kids' movies. They were trying to be sort of fun and happy and yeah. playful. Whereas that's not Star Wars. That's that. It comes ultimately back to why do we have such a problem with Han shooting first? Han is a smuggler. He is a scoundrel. He is a criminal. It's the whole point of that is, is to have a character arc for him. And if yeah. we if we make him less not you know less of a 
I'll say naughty, nasty, uh, uh, you know, a, a less redeemed he's opportunistic. Character. Yeah, That's the if, thing if, if he's not kind of a, a borderline bad guy at first, then his transformation by yeah. the end into somebody who's bought into this rebellion and is is making sacrifices for people he loves doesn't mean as much. Yeah, and it's and to me, it really sets up him in the beginning of like you know this is the kind of thing that happens in old west saloons. Somebody shoots somebody under the table and nobody pays it so they can yeah. lead to it. Okay, that fits the western sort of theme. And again, I, I see a little bit of that with the concept of the the follow-on movies. I think a lot of people complained about you know Han's death and sort of things like that, but I see a little bit of that idea of it. These are not nice characters. You know, this is a in a sort of rough world. And like I said, I like the fact they're doing that in the Mandalorian. I'm hoping that they keep it up in conjunction with the the prequel, the sequels. And I'm sort of hoping that they they're intending to end the sequel so they can go a little bit more to it. And I think they're they're trying there's it out a, in Mandalorian to see what happens. There's another trilogy coming out. Uh, we don't know much about it yet, but um, you know, I, I suspect what they're going to do with Episode Nine is pave the way for whatever that's going to be. So, um, so there's that. Well, um, so there you go, folks. Go watch Star Wars. Uh, feel free to tweet at us. Let us know what you think, and uh, we will probably do a follow-on episode where we revisit our <laughs> predictions from a couple episodes ago and uh, give you our own thoughts. We'll do probably our, I don't know, five or ten minutes where we break it down and talk about what we thought about it. Yep. So, All right. Um, well, uh, there's the music. It's time to go. Uh, we don't have plans for the next episode yet. It'll be a surprise for all of us when we get there. In the so, new year, more than likely. In the new year. So in the meantime, check out our website at lggpodcast.com. It has links to the various platforms where you can download prior episodes. Get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and by email at lggpodcast at gmail.com. Com, subscribe to this podcast on the platforms and give us a review to help new listeners find us. You can find me on Twitter at Benjamin Siders and Kirk at KirkDMN. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Lorem, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded at Cool Fire Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. 